Welcome to another episode of Horse Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Ash. And this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Ryan, co-founder of Spider, an ambitious professional hailing from Bahrain, where his career journey began with a wealth of experience in physical operations, logistics, TTC subscriptions, and sustainable cargo bike logistics. Ryan honed his skill and expertise in these two ways over the years. Around 18 months ago, Ryan embarked on a new adventure, transitioning from the world of physical operations to the realm of As a visionary, he sought to bright the gap between these two worlds, bringing the art of operations and streamlining processes from physical operations to the tech landscape. Currently, Ryan is driving force at Square and on-demand operation platform that specializes in helping founders establish robust operations. So, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ash. Thank you. Great. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share? Yeah, a very famous one is uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, it it resonates uh, on, a, on a personal level. It resonates uh, very much on a professional level. I think it really comes um, from the, the, the nature of operations, my, my career and what we do, which is the fact that no, no matter what the challenge you have, um, when you're in a time of need or you have been put into a position where the, you know, the impossible feels impossible that you innovate and find ways to, to solve things. Uh, and, and I think, um, that, that, that quote really uh, sort of summarizes uh, a lot of the challenges, but more so the approach towards challenges that I've come across both personally and professionally. Indeed. Indeed. I can, I can, I can second to that. So, 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 so I'm, I'm really impressed with the name of your startup square. How did you, how did you got this name? You know, it's, it's amazing. It's like one of, uh, unicorns in, uh, US named something similar, uh, square, I think so. It's yeah, it's right. difficult for you to get it, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, some, sometimes, sometimes mistaken for the payments, uh, gateway square, um, yeah. obviously, uh. Uh, you know, our, our market leaders in, in, in the sort of finance uh, industry when it comes to, to payment gateways and card readers and so forth. Um, so it, it's kind of, it's kind of, there's two, two main reasons here. Um, one is purely the, uh, the, the kind of mathematical idea of being able to, to square something continuously um, and being able to take uh, a sort of an, an item and being able to, uh, as a sort of a process, for example, and being able to, to square its, its output. Uh, typically, in in the kind of startup and in growth world, everybody talks about exponential, and we always want to go from you know and see that hockey stick growth and so forth. Whereas, really, the, the reality of growth in the startups is yes, they could get to that stage, but in the beginning, it's about really trying to find um, certain uh, processes, certain things that you might implement and put in place, which get at minimum square your mm-hmm. output and square the performance there. Um, there, there. There is that, which is, I want to say, the kind of longer version of it. Um, there's a second piece to this, which is purely the fact that actually a number of years ago, um, I had a, a second uh, business, which was a, a subscription-based business. Um, and it was also called The Box Squared. 
Um, and so there's this underlying kind of theme which uh, which uh, is starting to to come. And I don't know, maybe future businesses may also start to play on the word. Um, but th that's that's sort of where we are um, today with with the name. Interesting, interesting. So tell tell us about Squared then. What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, sure. So um, you know, from from my background over the years with uh, uh, physical operations in particular and, and logistics, um, they are. Uh, industries uh, that are very, very low, tight margins. You're talking like three, four percent uh, margin industries. And even in a lot of the time in, in your lifetime, even working in some of those businesses, uh, you may not even see those margins. You're just sort of in the pursuit of getting closer towards a break even, and then potentially your successor or you know generations beyond that will actually reach the point. Very cash intensive, cash rich uh, businesses. So. Uh, leaving that kind of world about 18 months, almost almost two years ago now, um, I wanted to be able to bring those practices of very um, sort of meticulous uh, processes into the world of tech. Now, there was already an over overlap there because the types of businesses that I started to work with, and particularly within logistics, were all tech-enabled. So we really started to see the impact of how you can use technology to improve various physical-based businesses. So what I wanted to do is sort of flip that on its head a little bit and think, if we build operations and build processes for tech companies, then in, in theory, what we should be able to do is find a much more efficient, sustainable, but potentially even more accelerated way of growing within the, the tech world. Now, the the idea for us and the theory, the hypothesis for us as a business um, is when it comes to uh, knowledge, consultancy, uh, expertise uh, that today currently exists in someone's head, right? And so if a startup was to bring an expert on board, um, quite often you'll find that they're going to build something from zero to 100%. What we would like to do, and at least the hypothesis at, at this stage and what we're really trying to gather and build the database of is the fact that if we were able to give um, a founder 60% of that knowledge and they were able to to sort of accelerate their growth. And we came in just to fill in the final sort of 40% uh, gap. Then we're able to help businesses move faster, but then also us come in only when um, a business actually needs support to really fine tune and make it work. Now, where we are today um, as a business, just to sort of give you an idea is we are effectively um, working as a uh, as an agency or consultancy um, whilst building a SaaS platform at the same time. It means that we're able to get real-time feedback from demanding customers. It means that we can really understand the architecture of some of the processes and how businesses work whilst we're uh, able to build a very sort of data-rich uh, database at the same time. Um, and it's purely um, uh, this. It, it's, it's purely kind of a more extended or a bigger version of your traditional path to building a SaaS platform, which is through, you know, early users, early adopters, customer feedback, and so forth. We're just able to, you know, use that A, from a financial perspective to, to bootstrap the initial learnings, um, but also not try to jump into what is quite a complex problem uh, initially to, to try and solve. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, it's very interesting um, because founders I interview, they, they're either tech or non-tech. And when, when you interview them, 
either the tech founder doesn't understand the side of the business uh, from a holistic view, or if it is a non-tech founder, that it's very hard for the person to understand the tech side. Um, so I, 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 I want to understand and, and, and I want to give my listeners more, um, you know, layman's terms of understanding of how actually squared works. So would you be able to give us a sort of like small case study with one of your previous customers and then so, sort of like a star approach, like which situation they came to you, like where they were and then what tasks or, or, or actions you guys took in order to, you know, uh, develop their processes, uh, build their processes. And then what was the, what was the outcome? What was the result of it? So that, you know, our listeners can understand how, you know, you, you guys can help them. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that makes sense. And, 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 um, you know, it's, 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 it's quite simple as approach is that, um, our, our clients once onboarded, they have access to, um, our internal platform. Um, and that, that platform is, is purely there to be able to, to draw information and data from them and for us to be able to bring that back in the form of a process or a deliverable. They have access to that platform. They are able to go on there. They're able to put in a process request, um, which is then very quickly, um, tasked up. Uh, in terms of the amount of size, the amount of time that it would take to put this in. In some cases, we may actually start off with a bit of a consultative call in which they are trying to describe the problem in a, in a more kind of, um, uh, if you like, uh, emotional or pain um, uh, perspective, saying that these are the problems we have, and then we would take that down almost in a more consultative approach to break it down into what could the solutions be. But let's say typically they come on and say, well, we need... Um, to build a CRM process. And a lot of the time, that is where we are doing a lot of the work, which is unlocking sales, unlocking revenue, and so forth. That uh, request will then come into us. It will be broken down um, uh, relatively automatically into a number of different um, tasks for us. And what happens uh, behind the scenes is that we're able to understand um, and take from our database of insights and learnings and understand from their requests, their industry, their business, potentially some of the tools, the users that they currently have in place and be able to marry the two together. And within about 24 hours, we already started to build out that process for them and looking to, to implement it. And within a number of um, uh, days or potentially weeks, depending on the size and complexity of the business, um, their deliverable will be out or be implemented. Importantly, there's a training um, and a documentation piece to this. So one of the, one of the uh, challenges of any SaaS um, sort of tool or platform is always poor implementation. And that's because yeah. we've sort of been brought into this idea that um, SaaS exists as pure play. It should be self and so forth, which in some cases it can and, and is the case. Um, but even when you look at some of your bigger SaaS players, there's always an implementation element. There's always a... A sort of consultative or solutions architect which is involved in the process and so what we're effectively saying is whilst we are building the process for you in, in a very kind of SaaS like manner or a SaaS model um, we very much uh, believe that we then also need to help onboard that uh, into your business so that it's very very clear um, typical type of businesses um, are going to be uh, relatively early stage those that don't have a, an operational function or they have just completed their raise, they are looking to 
scale, very large tech product development teams um, and really getting organized at this stage is very much the right thing to do uh, to make sure that you can sort of unlock your revenue, your sales, your growth um, and make sure that you're really focusing your efforts where they uh, are, are best focused um, effectively. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I want to un unwrap upon the activities of how you actually implement these processes with the help of either custom build softwares or, you know, third party softwares or even other tools. But before going into that, what I would like is I'm eager to learn more about the person behind this innovative edge. You know, can you, can you take us back to your roots and share with our listeners about your upbringing, childhood? How did you earlier experiences shape your journey and eventually led you to become the visionary entrepreneur you are today? And were there any key influences from your family or surroundings that played a significant role in shaping your entrepreneur spirit? We'd love to hear more about the foundation that sets you on this incredible path. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, as, as you sort of said at the beginning, I'm, I'm originally from, from uh, Bahrain. Don't know where that is. It's a very small island uh, in, in, the, in the Middle East near Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, I, from the from a very young age of about 10 or 12, I think 12 was about the first time when I actually started, quote unquote, my first business, right? Um, and I had a, I had a stream um, uh, of, of income that was purely coming in from uh, sales that were related to to uh, to uh, candy that was being brought in from the US, um, which didn't exist. I found a gap basically in the market, which was bringing in candy, which didn't exist in the country, um, that was sold, you know, at a relative premium to whatever sort of the the playground market would be, and. I, I built like quite a big um, sort of significant cash flow for a 12 year old at the time, um, which later transformed uh, into actually buying uh, hardware and, and, and technology. Um, that later moved on to um, a, a YouTube stream, which um, I had monetized from a very early stage, um, speaking about uh, the latest technology, hardware technology, reviewing that and so forth. Um, but then I very, very quickly moved on to um, simultaneously moved on to a, a secondary business. And this was actually the first stint of logistics that I had uh, worked in, which was uh, overseas inbound freight. So I, I would actually have, uh, this was the days before e-commerce um, within the Gulf, before the days before Amazon and so forth, and I actually shipped things from LA on a 48-hour period, which was unheard of. So you would be able to get the latest MacBook Pro um, within 48 hours, um, we had a very uh, sort of tight operation there from a logistical perspective, but then also from a service perspective, uh, we were effectively uh, placing these bespoke orders. We were taking full uh, cash and being able to, um, upfront, being able to order, procure, and uh, deliver against it. There was also an interesting reverse logistics bit, which is, okay, if somebody's not happy with this, how do we how do we get this back um, to, to the US, uh, which is also a very interesting piece there. Um, I... My influences from from a young age. Um, my my father comes from a um, had originally come from quite a um, a, a sort of a poor background. Worked with his father um, at a young age, about eight or, or nine, uh, in in, a, in sort of his his cafe, um, and uh, lost lost his dad very early, uh, aged eleven, and saw an entrepreneurial route basically from the age of uh, eight onwards. And once. He had sort of gone through his earlier stages of his career very quickly 
to um, soon after into construction property development um, uh, as a as a completely bootstrap sort of solopreneur to to start off with. Um, and obviously, watching that journey um, throughout had always had a very significant impact uh, on on me personally and the way I thought about uh, entrepreneurship. It's why all my businesses and and business ideas up until this point have always been a bootstrap. Uh, it's not because I don't want to go out um, and and raise. It's just that I'm always um, seeking um, how best we could potentially uh, monetize or generate cash or be able to grow without the need uh, to go out um, and raise. Um, and, and not not so for any sort of wrong reasons, really. Um, my my father had a significant impact um, on, on me and my entrepreneurial sort of path um, through, throughout um, uh, throughout my sort of early days, and and, and still does really. Um, and that that is sort of the you know a very very significantly impacted by sort of my my up my upbringing, my my family. I always bring an example up when I talk about this, which is you know. I vividly remember um, times in the supermarket where we would go to buy um, items, um, let's say a, a bottle, small bottles of water for, for sort of the office or something. I vividly remember um, my dad looking at the sort of cost, the unit cost per bottle, depending on the size and which one would be best value for money to put into the office. And mm -hmm. those to me at the time as a, as a child you know, in the supermarket seemed sort of almost <laughs> irrelevant because we were talking about pennies here when you know flash forward you know um, a number of years and and you look at you look, you look at this you know almost two decades later or three decades later um, actually that's a significant learning in in life in which you can apply both on a professional but also a you know, personal level in, in how you make decisions um, so it's even in in my own decisions today, as as a founder, uh, buying SaaS, for example, uh, whether you pay for it monthly or annually, trying to understand and make decisions: why should I go for the annual one over monthly if the use is only for three months, or we want to see how it's like and so forth. So, it's really stuck with me. Um, I think those, uh, yeah, it's been a very key part to, to my life on that on that front. Yeah. No. No. I. It's very interesting. And I don't know if you, I mean, it's not, it's not the case uh, and it's not the case in every scenario, but most of the time, all of the multi-billionaires, I'm not talking about millionaires, multi-billionaires, they come from the background where they had early stage learnings in their life. You know, this, this kind of learnings actually pushed them to reach to those heights, which is even impossible to think for the people who had a privileged child yeah. because they can go to an, uh, at a certain level and then their thought process stops and then you know i'm not saying that if you're born privileged you cannot build a unicorn you can but if you go through some hardship through some uh unprivileged uh, childhood or some learning uh while growing up or uh, you know bringing up your, uh, your family with you it helps a lot being a father yeah yeah it does and and by interviewing multiple founders i found out that this is something uh showcased in your uh consistency towards what you love what what you're passionate about and what you want to achieve in life also, because a lot of people give up yeah absolutely yeah 
So so let's let's talk about this where the story has actually begin. Where did the idea of Squared came to you and how did this story got into the shape? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I when I left the when I left the sort of worlds of logistics, um I had initially uh, started just doing consultancy for um, for startups as, a, as an independent consultant. Uh, and it was almost like a halfway point between trying to figure out exactly what I want to do next from a from a business perspective or potentially even going back into kind of, uh, uh, a, a different type of full-time em- employment within a completely different industry. What I quickly, um, first of all, I really enjoyed that. Like, you know, I wanted to continue with that. But what I really quickly um, started to, to realize in the sort of first couple of months was that we were trying to take um, a very kind of consultative, rigid uh, model that you might find in your sort of big big four consultancies and try and apply it to, um, you know, the startup world, which requires agility and versatility, um, a, a generalist approach to how you do things, um, and 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 also speed, right? Um, and so, what I what I st- started to not really get, you know, behind and and love too much was the fact that all founders are are overwhelmed. They have challenges. They always want to do more of something. And there's one thing which is missing. They always want to be able to do something else uh, too. And so, rather than me coming in as an independent consultant and creating a project scope. Um, which was very rigid, which was sort of governed by timelines uh, and and frameworks and so forth. But what I thought is that if we were able to take a slightly more uh, flexible, um, more plug-and-play and accessible model for startups, then A, we should get a better sort of traction and stickiness, um, but also it makes more sense. It feels less of a commitment uh, to startups. And obviously, given the last year or so in terms of the the, the market, this has been that's been a you know a, a game changer for us and also the businesses that we've um, had to work with. So the main thing for us was you know we've identified who our ideal customers are. We also understand the type of customers that we're working with in terms of we're not working with the corporates with enterprise. It's very much startups that need to move fast, and have flexibility, and we started to shape and change the, the way we work and. The model as it is today, it's it's relatively unique. It started to become a bit more popular when you look at some of the creative uh, industries, particularly when it comes to graphic design. Some software developers are starting to take a bit of a similar approach, um, but we're yet to see it in a, in a slightly more, I guess, um, uh, what would be considered a slightly more uh, complex offering, which is within effectively operations and operational processes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been the the, the journey there um, to, towards where we are today. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, great stuff. And when you had the Bethany, did you looked into the market? Were there other products? What was going on at the time? And what did you see from your research that encouraged you to move ahead with this? Yeah, I think you know there is a um, in in the last couple of years since uh, since the pandemic, there has been a a large number of people that have left full-time employment to go into freelance and contract work, which as, as uh, many would know, you know, has created the idea of fractional roles and portfolio careers, right? Um, which meant that that end of the spectrum in terms of independence has significantly blown up and it's, it's grown 
and it comes with its its own challenges, particularly around uh, biz biz um, dev. And then on the kind of other end of the spectrum, you have your you know big name household uh, consultancies uh, who all have very tried and tested. They've been doing this for decades. Uh, ways and means of working. Now, if we put the sort of costs aside, um, we also have those mid boutique consultancies that still are able to work with these types of businesses. But the piece that um, we were trying to do is how can you get sort of the the small and kind of homely feel of the smaller either independence or smaller consultancies, um, but also with the almost effectiveness of your um, bigger consultancies when it comes to insights, database, and knowledge, meaning we didn't want to come in and reinvent the wheel for you every single time we came in, but rather used everything we knew to accelerate the business, continuously learn about your industry before we've even started working with you to be able to accelerate what we do when we come to you, um, which is why we're able to turn things around very quickly when it comes to starting uh, with you for, um, for that reason. Um, but yeah, there was a huge um, addressable market. Um, that the reality of the market is that uh, all, all businesses, all founders have challenges, um, and that has slightly started to to be seen through the demand that has been coming to us from from a variety of uh, directions. Um, yeah, sure. So, so okay. So, just to reiterate and for my understanding also. Yeah. So currently, you're building a SaaS product as well as doing uh, some agency work, yeah. which is helping you to build the SaaS, right? right. Um, so the SaaS itself, what 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 pain point exactly it's not? Is it a CRM system? Is it a building block which actually can create any kind of processes for the customers? So for example, let's say as a founder or as a startup, if I come to you, and say, okay, what what I do? I, I do this podcast, right? So in order to do that, I reach out to people on LinkedIn. I have different networks where I have connections. Um, then some people reach out to me because of my content. Some people I reach out to. Then I pull pull up their contacts, put it put it into a CRM which I use right now, and then the conversation start, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I host the podcast, and then. The, it gets into the editing phase and then after a while it goes to public. When I tell you this whole process, I'm 100% sure you will be able to figure out, oh, actually you're doing this wrong, this wrong, you need to get optimized this and that. How does actually it works and how does that SaaS product helps to do that? So let, let me ask you a question just in return to, to get, guide this is, is how do you know what to do in that case? Um, you mean how to improve the efficiency, or before you before you uh, had a had a podcast, or before you had the intention of trying to organize the, the process better? Where where did you start? And um, so I actually started thinking about it around six months ago when I thought you know uh, I, I you know as a founder we all, we have a habit of watching these uh, growth. Uh, hacking techniques on the YouTube or other platform. And one thing I realized that I have to build a community and I have to learn a lot about entrepreneurship. Uh, building a community could happen on any social media platform. I could have used YouTube, I could have used any other, you know, TikTok, etc. But none of them I actually enjoyed. 
uh, what I enjoy is talking with founders like yourself. Um, and that's when the podcast idea came into the scene. And then I did some research, uh, if the market is there, if I am still able to pull this off, etc. Um, and then I made a decision of let's, let's go for it. Great. Yeah. So, so look, but basically the, the, the type of platform that we are trying to, to build from is once you have reached that point, which is effectively the, the kind of idea point is we want to help you execute and accelerate, um, idea to, to reality, idea to execution. Right. And so from a platform perspective, some of the earliest things that you would expect to be able to, to do with this is in a very similar manner to how you might interact or engage with, let's say, chat GPT today, um, mm -hmm. you would be able to try and sort of put and describe some of those things in and be able for the platform to help guide you and give you what that process should look like or can can look like in order for you to not have to um, go away, try and test too many things and sort of be um, blinded by what will probably be a lot of sort of sales and marketing push towards you because the challenge we have today and this comes from the the realities of seo marketing content marketing is that if i was to google how to do something so how to set up a crm the chances are the first one two three four pages that you will find on on google uh, will be crm uh, SaaS platforms that are being are trying to push you towards them and whilst they might give you an exact means of how to build a CRM, they're giving it to you in their view and, and there's a, re a relative amount of bias there. What we, what we have been able to do as a business from a consultative uh, perspective is being able to really assess your business, your needs and the outcome and be able to fill in the gaps. So even if one of these CRM platforms is the best one, we can also pull out all the considerations that you have to make or can make along the way, right? And that's what the platform will give you, which today being able to uh, Google that, you will not necessarily get that kind of uh, answer, but also it's there to accelerate. So mm -hmm. one, like a, a very basic example here is when it comes to newsletter and newsletter opt-ins, uh, quite often people will, you know, very quickly take the tool, put in a form on their website uh, for you to subscribe to the newsletter. What they might fail to do is update their uh, privacy policy on the website. And these are some of the intuitive pieces that we want to build or we are building as part of the, 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 the platform here, which is you've improved and you've implemented your newsletter opt-in. Whilst you're here, you need to remember to also update your privacy policy and, and make sure you do it. And if you need to know how to do it, this is how you can do it. We move on to the next process here, which is privacy, GDPR, um, uh, you know, uh, on, a, on a regional basis. Um, yeah, even the CN compliance commissioner. Okay. Exactly right. So it's being able to to make sure that people are um, are being fed the right types of uh, not just information but also the right type of process designs that they can take away. Um, but the idea is we're not leaving them just with it because we're not selling a template here. We're being we're able to give you what you need to build it, but we would then also come in to help take you from that point to the finish line um, just a little bit quicker. Um, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. So 
I mean, you already mentioned that, you know, most of your businesses which you have started in the past were bootstrap. I'm guessing this one is also completely bootstrap. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So because we've opted to go down the the sort of service path first, um, mm -hmm. in order to get to this point, it has meant that we've been able to to run and act as a services uh, business with services margins, of course. Um, so I think the the need to to raise uh, at least initially um, isn't going to be there. Um, it really depends on uh, where we end up in terms of uh, scale or the need to 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 um, the raise investment to, to scale further um, uh, if we need it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever considered raising any money or it's just not in your back? It's, it's always, it's always there. It's always a consideration and, um, and naturally any founder or entrepreneur, whether you are bootstrapped, uh, or you are raising should always be, um, always be sort of lobbying and networking. And understanding what the investment landscape looks like, who the main investors are, VCs, and so forth. Um, so it's it's always something which is brewing and kind of bubbling away because you never know what when you may need to do that. You may pivot in, towards an opportunity, um, even if you were to start a completely different business or spin out a product based on your existing business. Uh, it's always good to have that. So it's not an immediate consideration, i.e. we're not looking to raise right now, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be raised ready, if that makes sense. Got, got it. Yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a good idea. Uh, because, you know, once you have an attraction, once you have an update, uh, yeah, it will be easier for you to raise money. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you be able to share a little bit more about um, how does the revenue model works, or is it something still under uh, consideration? Yes, I mean our existing our existing revenue model is, is entirely transparent. Um, we um, we effectively uh, have a subscription model, and uh, which depending on the amount of intensity you require from us, um, mm -hmm. it, it impacts the price. Um, but you can you can access an on-demand support uh, from us for five hundred ninety pounds from five hundred ninety-nine pounds five hundred and ninety pounds uh, a month, and that's really geared towards the early stage um, founder, some of whom are still within full-time business. And what we're able to do is just help them accelerate their early efforts towards um, creating a business and going to market. Our sort of core range sits at around twenty-nine hundred pounds. Uh, a month, and that's really there to support um, startups um, who are about to uh, raise or about to close an investment, or that have just uh, raised an investment, are are looking to sort of support their operations and accelerate it. Um, but we also do um, sort of bespoke packages where we take a bit more of a hands-on approach uh, with businesses, and it becomes more sort of led by um, us as opposed to um, them from a kind of a, a guidance or a strategic uh, perspective. From a from a platform perspective, um, we probably expect uh, to run uh, a much reduced subscription model, um, but it may also come with the types of uh, value or the number of requests that you put in each month, similar to what you might see with a lot of the open AI sort of um, source product um, products that you see around nowadays. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so, considering. Um, you know, considering that you you have already served multiple businesses now, 
Can you can you share a moment when you were faced with a tough decision while dealing with a customer? You know, um, and you have learned something. You had an immense impact on on their uh, business trajectory. And uh, how did you manage to how did you manage to navigate through that tough decision uh, with with your customer? Uh, because wh- why I'm asking this question is because. And most of the agencies who work with uh, uh, usually they start really really fast. The pace is really good, and then at some point they get uh, into a situation where it's very tough to even decide for themselves. Should I actually go forward with this client? Is it is this client good for me? And how do you how do you navigate through all this decision? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. I think you know. Client fit is a is a huge uh, part, uh, and is is a very relevant, obviously, in, in kind of the agency consultancy model. Um, it's very tough, but I think the the starting point really is, and and I think this is where sometimes businesses might fail or agencies might fail to 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 work um, through is is actually being very clear with what your own um, your own ICP is from a customer perspective, but also just your own values, what you're trying to achieve, the data, the metrics you're trying to to get from the work you do, um, and and also trying to answer the question of, you know, where are you going to be in five years' time, ten years' time, and so on. Even if at this stage, because we don't even know what's going to happen next year or the, in two years' time, even at this stage, if it's very visionary, is, you know, placing something there which you think is your, is going to be your your north star. So like an activity that. Um, we always do and probably on a sort of quarterly basis is exactly that and, and it's we call it the north star alignment right which is um the north star is still there we understand what the platform is we understand some of the problem that we're trying to achieve and, and who we're trying to help which is effectively making you know operational processes accessible for founders and helping founders build operations you know that that doesn't really change fundamentally but what we continuously look at every few months is who are the most um, impactful businesses that work um, that can work for us, but also we can work for them, right? And by doing that, we have got closer towards truly understanding our our ICP, um, but also being able to really gather a sort of more accelerated uh, insight for ourselves of where do we go next, or how can we do this uh, even better, and so forth. So there has there have been a few occasions of, across the last year where um, part of it is sort of values and strategically driven, and some of it is sort of just gut um, feeling of these may not be the clients um, to work with. Now, I say that after going through that for a little bit of time um, and, and understanding that, what I would never advise people to do is to 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 sort of do that too early on i think part of um the process of taking on work which may not seem great initially is the sort of risk you need to take as a business and Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is if that client on paper doesn't seem right it doesn't necessarily mean in practice it is it will go one of two ways either you're right (laughs) And you know exactly who not to come back to in the future, or the type of business to come back to, or you're completely wrong, right? And you've actually found 
a really strong client as part of your portfolio in which you can sort of really capitalize on for, fu for future types of work. Um, yeah. I also think on that front is you may, yes, they may be a difficult industry or a type of client to work with, but if you've done it once, um, then you may be able to take elements of it and almost productize it for future clients, right? But let's say CRM for uh, fintech businesses was what you found really difficult, but you've done it once, it's great. Can you productize an element of that and just sell it to the fintech, early stage fintech market? And you've removed yourself from the whole process, right? So I never want to jump into sort of closing off entire niches, markets, industries, verticals, whatever it is, um, very quickly. I think a try and tested model is really testing to the reason why you go into the startup world to start a business. Um, but always then align your North Star eventually so that you can start to sort of hone in and understand where do I focus my efforts in as a business. Sure, sure. Great stuff. So, so as you know, we are heading towards the end. What I would like to know is, you know, throughout your journey and experience, there must have been some valuable lessons learned. You know, if you don't mind sharing, could you reflect on your experience that tell us about one mistake or a setback that you encountered along the way that you now consider, you know, either a regret or a lesson learned. Additionally, at what kind of, what advice would you give our listeners based on this experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the usual sort of, um, uh, kind of fail fast is, uh, is a key piece, um, you know, for me, um, I am, I would, I would consider myself, um, a, a risk taker and, and willing to try and understand, um, you know, the, the depths of things, um, or, you know, how deep things can go before you sort of really call it a day, if that, if that makes sense. Um, but it's 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 for sure something which I wish I had always done more of, even, and then that's despite the fact that you know that's who I, I think I am. It's and it's because there are times throughout the journey, and, and you know I have it even today, um, kind of eighteen months in that uh, we wonder why we didn't do something we did today three months ago, or six months ago, or twelve months ago when they seem so obvious today, right? And sometimes it's just about iterating uh, things a little bit quicker. I, I think one of the one of the key things which um, uh, is is a very kind of obvious and, and big one to many businesses is just our initial landing page, right? It's something which um, I had shipped out very quickly in the in the beginning, um, but realized over almost six to nine months that it provided zero to you know, very little value even to, to any website visitor or user. And it's something which I think was actually hurting, um, the, the business to a certain extent, um, within the other efforts I was making. So, you know, let me play this out to you. You know, you may be doing a bit of breach on, on LinkedIn, speaking to people, being referred to people. Now, you know, t typically today, uh, once people have made contact with you, they're either going to go to your LinkedIn, um, and then following that end up on your website and they both together act as a profile and first impression of what somebody thinks of you. Right. And so for me, one of the key th realizations, which came a little bit too late was, um, what LinkedIn was fine. And, you know, th that was a good first impression, but 
the the website wasn't serious enough and it wasn't necessarily playing the part and the reason i think that was because uh we hadn't done enough validation quick enough before we actually pushed something out the problem wasn't clear enough the ideal user wasn't clear enough and and that's still an iterative process till till this day right so yeah, you know, to, to to summarize really what I what I'm trying to say here, which is, you know, failing fast is something I, I wish I did more of and continuously wish I did more of. Um it's if something slightly resonates, whether it's company you've seen or an opportunity that's come up, I think you need to push yourself towards that uh, a lot quicker. Um, because it's not going to come to you. Um and there's some some really key people, um that we've started to have in our, our network that have really started to push that type of agenda and that kind of mindset on 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 me personally and it's it's been really effectively sort of helping me uh in, in the last uh, couple of months in particular no i, I couldn't agree more uh, with you on this one you know failing fast is so important in current world that uh, it tells you two things a it tells you that you're trying or the person who's failing fast is trying and B tells you that if if that person failed for 10 times, that person already know that it doesn't work at this 10 ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really important and all the big giants are using this strategy in-house to develop innovations get inside of the company. So exactly. it, it's a, it's a, it's a pro technique to to, to, you know, um, um, innovate basically in, in us. Absolutely. Hey, so, so, so we, we are heading towards the end and, you know, I'm going to take you to into a lightning round. I've got six quick fire questions for you. So answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Yep. <laughs> All right. What's one of the best piece of business advice you have received? Fail fast. Hey, uh, what book would you recommend to our audience? Zero to one. I think it's um, it covers a lot in 250, 300 pages mm-hmm. um, from all different parts and feats of the, the business. And when it's told through experience, it's, it's really impactful. Awesome. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Um, bold, I think, uh, not, not as in bold, like here, but as in B-O-L-D. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or app? Uh, Notion. I have to get into habit of using Notion. I haven't used it that much. Yeah. 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 Okay, what's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had time? Yeah. I I have a I have a huge passion for um uh sort of health health and well being and uh and sort of sports in general and I and I don't and I think that uh there's a huge problem within uh, sort of of the entrepreneurial world, which is very like sort of hustle culture, and you have to sort of work till late and twenty four seven and that kind of thing. Um, I'm somebody that tries not to do that as much as possible, um, and I think I get more out of each day. 
I would love to be able to either develop something or a a um, uh, a means or a way of teaching other people how best to make the most out of a day and without compromising your own health, your own mental health. Uh, yeah, mm. something related to productivity, but focusing on your health and mental. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. And last but not least, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, so I'm also a trained uh, and, and sort of a musician. So I was actually had um, studied to become a film composer mm-hmm. uh, and and write music for short film uh, and, and advertising. So very different world to where I am today, um, but it's still a huge passion of mine. Oh, that's beautiful. That's interesting. It's amazing. You know, you already have a creative side and you're... It, it really helps when you have a creative side in your your editor job. Great stuff. Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining me and sharing your story and packing the last uh, few years of building this business and some of the ups and downs along the way. If people want to check out Square, what 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 they have to Google? What, what's the website? Yeah, so at the moment, we're just square.consulting. Um, mm-hmm. Also find the same uh, on, on LinkedIn um, as well. Uh, or follow myself uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, well, what if folks want to get in touch with you? What's the best way? What's the handle on LinkedIn? Sure. Yeah, I um, I always keep my email open as well to anyone. So it's yeah. just first name R Y N at squared dot consulting, uh, and it's just my first and uh, last name to search for on LinkedIn. I very much open all founders as well to uh, to to chat, and my Calendly link is there. Um, and I'm there to speak about all challenges, uh, both operationally and uh, in business, to help accelerate your growth. Perfect, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing through Square. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on SaaS Stories podcast. Likewise, Ash. Thank you very much uh, for allowing me to share it. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of our Ask Stories podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Ryan insightful and inspiring. If you're a founder or an ex- industry expert interested in sharing your story on our Ask podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artcircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.